This is the St. Charles History Chronicle, episode 2303. Duquesne. A history of Duquesne and Operadio in St. Charles. With John O'Toole, large tool engineering manager from Duquesne Corporation in St. Charles. Brought to you by the St. Charles History Museum in St. Charles, Illinois. All right, welcome. This is Steve Gibson with the St. Charles History Chronicle. I'm the president of the board here at the St. Charles History Museum, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Eric Krupa, who is collections manager. How are you doing, Eric? Hey, doing well. Hope everyone's having a good time out there. We're enjoying post-Easter spring. This is when we go from like a thousand degrees minus zero to, to about a thousand degrees plus in about three weeks. Yeah, complaining we'll into the heat. Yeah, we'll be complaining about that soon. Uh, we're also joined today by uh, John O'Toole. He's the uh, large tooling engineer. Um, uh, you're not the large tooling engineer. I got the title wrong already. Right? Engineering I? manager. Engineering manager. And um, you work for Duquesne? That is correct. Okay. Yep. So um, you're here today to talk to us a little bit about um, some changes that uh, you're making in your archiving that involve the History Museum a little bit. And then we'll talk about some other stuff and, and whatever seems to work for everybody. So Yeah, we'll give you guys a rundown about the history of Operadio and Duquesne, some of their kind of more quirky inventions, I would <laughs> say. <laughs> We've got and, plenty of them. And, yeah, just a rundown about Duquesne today. Okay, so and I'll leave Eric to do this because I haven't had any of the conversations if you had with John. So take oh it away, guys. All right. So I was actually approached by John over here to uh, potentially take custody of the Duquesne and Operadio archives. And I've been working with him for a couple months now. Uh, he did a fabulous job organizing and setting it up. We're actually finalizing a deal, so we will be the future custodians of the Duquesne and Operadio archives, which include, like, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. We got schematics, diagrams, inventions. It's well over 100 years worth of stuff. Um, so we just recently celebrated our 100th anniversary. Yes. Uh, Operator was founded in 1922. Last year, we had uh, our 100-year anniversary. And as part of that, um, we celebrated Duquesne's history. Um, we pulled stuff out of the archives, um, a lot of physical material, uh, old products and stuff like that. But also in the archives were, I don't know if it's underestimating, 10,000-plus Articles oh, of yeah. I would photos, prints, uh, dating all the way back to uh, well, drawings that our founder uh, drew when he was a kid. He was born in uh, 1896. So, um, wow! He, you know, that's one of the things that um, when you talk to people here in town, everybody has like this kind of memory of Duquesne and driving by it all those years, and and the Operadio stuff. Obviously, if you're kind of a history nerd like we are, you, there's a lot of that tied into uh, St. Charles. Um, and, and I think it was kind of cool when we first talked about the fact that you're bringing the, the archives over, that um, you, you, this is like, I think you just said it a little while ago, it's like peeling an onion. And as you, as you peel this thing away, it's not like the onion gets smaller. Okay? No. It's, kind of, it's kind of the opposite of it, which uh, is pretty cool. Yeah, even our own archives, I'm still finding stuff. I've been dealing with, um, you know, working with our archives for over a year now, and I'm still finding out information. Just this morning, um, you know, so back in the late 19-teens, uh, 19 teens, uh, there was always a rumor that our, our uh, founder, uh, Jay McWilliam Stone, was possibly kidnapped by Pancho Villa. However, this morning I found an article that was done, an interview with him, that was completed, um, talking about radio, but just by chance they talked about that experience. And now it sounds more like he may have volunteered to uh, to join the Revolutionary Army, Pancho Villa. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so uh, I got a little quote from him if you'd like to hear sure. about oh, it. Oh, yes. 
Quote, I was the only one in the army who could read and write, he said. My job was to collect silver from the big banks and replace it with bread tickets, which were printed in rolls like movie tickets. I would turn the money over to Via. I think he buried a fortune in some of the cemeteries down there, but has never been discovered. And that is the only quote we have from him so far that I can find about the, uh, uh, his time at the, uh, during the Mexican Revolutionary War. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, he also did spend time in World War I as an ensign. Um, I have not found much uh, records on that, though. Yeah, I could definitely do a deep dive there if you'd ever want me to. Yeah, a couple, I mean, I guess we should probably start with him. He just went by J. McWilliam Stone. Um, uh, So, born 1896, Chicago, Hyde Park area. Uh, By the age of 10, he had built his first radio. Whiz kid. Yes, he was definitely a boy genius. Uh, By the age 12, uh, he had built his first transmitter and receiver. So, he was... (laughs) Uh, you know, transmitting, receiving radio waves in 1912, which was about eight years before <laughs> Chicago had any commercial radio stations. Um, he had two years later, uh, he obtained his uh, private uh, commercials license. Uh, oh, no, sorry, uh, his private uh, radio license. He was the second one in, I believe, Illinois or Chicago that had yeah. his uh, uh, license. Um, with that, he just kind of took off. Um, Age 16, he took a train out to New York, lied about his age, um, got on a Marconi ship, and was uh, working with the radios out there. No kidding. Mm -hmm. Wow. So um, in those early days, you know, this is all pre-commercial radio and everything else. It's more, a lot more like the, excuse me, shortwave world is today where you're basically trying to capture whatever you can capture, kind of. Yeah, exactly. He, they were building stuff. He took 60 foot, uh, I think it was like 60 foot of aluminum wire and made his first antenna on the side of his house or something like that. So, uh, it's, it's, uh, was remarkable. Um, I read an article this morning again saying, uh, he, he was in communications with somebody and, uh, the person asked if he knew how to play checkers. And apparently that's the first documented over the air playing of and type of game like that. Oh, no, so, no kidding. Well, yeah. Great. Yeah. That's a patent missed. <laughs> exactly. I know. Just thinking now, it's like, oh, okay. Got your Facebook message. Yeah, we games. had a whole gaming division we can get into as well later on that we, we stepped out of just before the big boom of the uh, arcade. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, some, some more things on Jack. A um, uh, couple of fun stories. Uh, he was accidentally, he was trying to call someone in New York from the story of it. And this is actually uh, in the newspapers as well. Yeah. Um, and through whatever means, he was accidentally patched over to London. And by doing so, he became the first citizen to have a transatlantic phone call. <laughs> wow. Yeah. According to the newspaper. Of course, you know, we're talking about 100 years ago, so it, some of these stories seem to be maybe built up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, kidnapped mm-hmm. by Pancho Villa, but he definitely was there. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His um, records and everything was from yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and witness, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we can really much get into the the opera radio, which, uh, for this purpose of the conversation, is Duquesne. Uh, yes. We had a name change, and we'll, we'll discuss that. So in 22, um, he founded uh, opera radio. Um, I found some of the naming conventions. I believe it was from Battery Operated Radio and Opera Radio. So okay. and I also play on opera as well. So uh, what we started out was with a portable radio. He was the, really the first person to come up with a portable radio. The idea 
uh, from what I understand is you would take your battery perchance from your car and you could plug in the power and you can listen to your radio wherever because prior to that they were all you know electrical outlets um, uh, battery you'd have to plug in your radio to a power source however rural America didn't necessarily have electricity at that point and rural America I'm talking St. Charles, mm -hmm. a, lot, yeah. a lot of the houses, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the, yeah. the cottages and stuff that wouldn't have that, or the beaches. So yeah. uh, from 22 through 27, uh, we were primarily a radio uh, builder. Um, you guys actually have a model of ours. Uh, it appears to be a later model called the Consulate. Um, that one was actually not designed to be portable. Uh, the portable ones were all black, and they folded up into a briefcase style. And about how much do those weigh there, Joe? I believe they said around 36 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're portable radios like a portable computer was when they first came yeah, out? Exactly. Was... A briefcase, oh, yeah. and, and you'd have a shoulder strap. and, and <laughs> Exactly. We called them luggables, I think, was what we called them. <laughs> I think that would be a much more, more apt name to it. Um, so we built those um, actually in Chicago. We never built the radios out here. Um, but by 1927, you know, 1925, we had a big marketing push, and I believe we were the number one producer of uh, portable radios uh, that year. However, uh, writing was on the wall. Um, Duquesne, or Op Radio, was a smaller company still, despite the successes it had, and they were competing against the companies much larger than them. It's probably like the Philips, then RCA, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Jack, I think he went by Jack as well. Um, his son went by Jack as well. So, okay. um, ready to confuse you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, I'll just call him Mr. Stone. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Stone saw the writing on the wall. We couldn't compete with the larger company. We couldn't scale. It wasn't possible. So at 1927, we decided to pivot and produce speakers. Again, we were still producing them at, uh, I believe it was 8 South Dearborn in Chicago. Uh, 1928, there was a fire, I believe caused by us. <laughs> um, and it destroyed the building. So, um, you know, it was kind of a, you know, mixed blessing. We needed room to expand our business. The speaker business actually was doing quite well at that time. Um, so they looked at several areas. They liked the uh, um, area out here in St. Charles. And that's when we first moved out to um, St. Charles. Uh, it would have been 1928 in the Heinz Cut Glass building. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say uh, back then we were also having our push to kind of get businesses from Chicago out over here to kind mm -hmm. of work and around. I'm that sure that's first. what's happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure it was a mutual um, um, you know, benefit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so we moved into Heinz Cut Glass, primarily focused on producing speakers, uh, survive through depression and receivership. It was rocky during those years. You know, crash just happened a few years after that, but they got through it. Uh, in the mid-30s, we actually expanded our line to include uh, intercom systems, uh, primarily for schools. Um, and actually, that is where Duquesne gets its name. We had two models. We had a standard model, which was called the St. Charles and the deluxe model that was called the Duquesne. <laughs> and it's just literally abbreviation for DuPage and Kane County. Mm -hmm. uh, and that brings us up to World War II, um, which uh, is when we were contracted to do all the intercon systems for uh, the naval, um, I think we did actually for tanks, uh, battleships, and airplanes. Mm -hmm. um, but I think actually uh, skipping, stepping back a few, uh, we did have uh, one pretty interesting uh, uh, out there uh, product in the 30s, and it was called the Magic Glow Bar. 
Yes. Mm. So imagine, if you will, 1936. No. <laughs> no, wait a minute. This doesn't have like radioactive radium in it, does it? Uh, it has some type of gases. Does it? Okay. Yeah. So uh, what it is, just essentially, it's uh, imagine you have a, a bar table, like a, a bar you'd go up to. Uh, underneath there'd be a field to put like a coil underneath, and you'd have this electric magnetic waves going through. Um, and what we would sell would be, you know, the system that would pr produce the, the, the electronic waves. But also there were accessories to it. Those are the fun part, the magic glow part of it. Uh, there were stir sticks, I believe, ashtrays, mm. and just uh, various items you could set on the bar that were filled with different gases. When you would set them on the bar, they would get the electrical currents through oh, it, cool. and it would glow different colors. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah, we produced those. Um, I know we, st we stopped at the late 30s at the request of the U.S. Army because of all the radio interferences. <laughs> um, I can and, imagine. And we just kind of, I, it seems like we just let it go. We have a folder filled with uh, um, articles about it, but uh, yeah. as far as the actual uh, correspondence internal, I have not found those yet. But um, you did keep a scrap scrapbook of every police interaction. Yes, there were, were, there were uh, we have articles uh, about police reports um, where cops would be listening on the radios and then all of a sudden there'd be a whirling noise in the in their radios and what it was is people would set their drink down put the sticks in and stir their stick <laughs> and would send the radio <laughs> waves out and it would interfere with police radios so are any place here locally that had that installed uh the tea room at okay. arcada okay yep. the parrot tea room yeah. yep and then there were plenty of bars uh in uh, chicago as well mm -hmm. Um, as far as I can tell, the tea room is the only place that's still around that's that, that's open. Um, but it was all over the country, though. There hmm. we have turquoise room turquoise, in LA. Yep, turquoise room in LA. Possibly the Jack Dempsey yeah. bar. Dempsey's that would be kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we and and we have all those menus which we'll be donating, and yeah. they all they all proclaim Magic Glow Bar nice. or Magic Bar. Nice. So is the. Um, and I don't want to get too geeky on this, but what kind of voltage are we talking to run this thing? I don't have the specifications in front of me, but we do have some photos of uh, of stuff that would would explain that. So, yeah. um, I'm just imagining if it gets out and interferes with police radio, yeah. that you're probably looking at like television I level capacitors and stuff. I like wouldn't that. imagine the bartender working seven days a week, leaning over that bar. <laughs> how? How good that could have been. That's right. Yeah, all the fillings <laughs> were gone after a while. There uh, probably. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so that brings us up to World War II. Um, so at that point, oh, I guess well, stepping back, uh, thirty-six. We also started getting into the audiovisual uh, with our first "Explain It." Um, people, you know, I'm thirty-seven, so uh, people my age probably remember the film reels with the cassettes, just like that, except it was record player. Mm -hmm. So we were the first people to pioneer that. Um, and that was our first step into the audio-visual. Audio so we had the audio-visual, and then we had the intercom systems and, and Magic Glow, but Magic Glow was gone by the time World War II started. Um, when they could have saved the world. Yes, <laughs> I know, I know. One stir stick at a time. <laughs> well, as a, as a former AV 
geek in high school, I can tell you that I spent a lot of time hauling around those film strip projectors and all the different ways that you could synchronize sound with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it had to be, I imagine it's analogous today to what computers are in the classroom to where it's a good way to entertain people, if nothing else, for, yeah. for a certain amount of time. But we loved it, of course. You know, anything like that, that you, you know, farm life and all those other things that were on film strips. Um, but I think it was also a, a good nap time sometimes, too, for people. But um, it, um, uh, Eric and I actually purchased uh, on eBay a little while back uh, one of those. Yeah. Oh, the explain it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. And we actually have some redundant equipment that, um, you know, once we get the, the, the stuff that I would say is at risk, uh, donated we'll definitely want to pare down our our selection because we don't need five of a single item so great that's very much appreciated yeah, Thank you. yeah. of course so uh after world war ii um 1945 we start producing commercial items again um by the end of the 50s we have uh three main divisions audio visual and then we have uh what would become csd but our commercial division um then they do the inter comms and, and eventually the clock systems as well which i don't know if everyone remembers synchronized clocks in school where sure. they would hum yeah that, that was us <laughs> uh it was funny going to school that it, it was duquesne on the clocks duquesne on the film projectors and everything overhead projectors it's like yeah even when i went to school <laughs> uh, we're talking mid-2000s i'm sure they're still in a closet somewhere at my old school true by the 1960s um, we still had all three departments. Um, however, we decided to get out of the government contracts. So uh, at that point, we went down to two divisions, which carried throughout the 90s, uh, which would be called AV and CSD. Again, AV was the film projectors, overheads, and CSD would be uh, any of the intercom systems. Uh, another fun item that we had that was produced in the 1950s uh, we actually got into, you know, we were producing speakers, um, and actually, we actually spun that off in the 19, 1951. We had a speaker facility down in Quincy, Illinois. We sold it to the employees, um, and Duquesne was out of the speaker, you know, the diaphragm speaker business. But in the mid-1950s, we explored with plasma speakers. I don't know if you know plasma tweeters. No, tell me about it. So uh, how a plasma tweeter, tweeter works, it actually takes plasmum, and as it heats up, it expands the air, and it makes the sound. And it's, it's supposed to be very clear, very, you know, almost perfect sound. Uh, there are, however, uh, produces quite a bit of ozone. In mm. And uh, in a closed room, it could be uh, considered dangerous. They, got, they worked on it, and they improved the technology as it went. Uh, but they were just very expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they were you know, certain crystals inside that had re- be replaced every... You got up to every 2,000 hours, you had to replace it, which was about a year's worth of, uh, of use. They're relatively inexpensive, but, you know, it was just more maintenance than just a paper tweeter. So uh, people still play around with them. Yeah. Uh, a basic pair of tweeters on eBay will go for $2,000. Wow. Yeah. There are gentlemen, people that remake these too as well. Yeah, they, and, people remake them. There's a company in Germany that is still producing them off the copy of, of the, uh, it was called Ionovac. Yes. Mm. And they're still producing them. So. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. So uh, through the 60s, uh, you know, well, actually, we need to go back to 1951, Duquesne. We are no longer operating at this time. So um, as early as 1947, we have entire folder on correspondence about changing the name of Duquesne. 
of, of op radio at that time. Uh, people were having problems. They, it was apparently hard to spell and hard to pronounce. Operadio, operadio, and um, they were like, you know, we don't even make radios anymore. It had a good name with the speakers, and, and, and you know, we were out at least in the, I would tell, in the trades. People knew who operadio was, but, you know, unless you're, you were a radio enthusiast at the time, you had no idea what operadio was. So the decision was made around 1947 to change our name. Uh, they had a couple different uh, iterations. Originally, the leading one was to go with OP because at that time GE and RCA had some of the largest name recognitions. However, during a phone conversation, uh, I believe it was actually uh, uh, Mr. Stone, was saying the name and the other person on the other line was not getting because OP. He's like, O-P-Y, O-P. <laughs> and so he's like, no, what? not doing it. So uh, they went with what they had already, the Duquesne system. Um, very easy, Duquesne. Easy to understand, relatively easy to spell as long as you don't put a C there instead. Um, and yeah, ultimately that's the decision they made. And, and I believe it was July 17th, 1951, we officially switched our name. Well, it's stuck. And yeah. it's stuck. It doesn't mean anything different in Slovak or, or Armenian uh, or anything. I don't so, know if they yeah. did that. <laughs> <laughs> they probably have by now. The, oh, yes, we're global now for sure. Yeah. So. Um, I, there's one story that I always tell people about when I'm, when I'm touring uh, downtown with people, and that's the story that out of all the technology that Colonel Baker built into the hotel, the Rainbow Room and all the other stuff, um, he ran a set of wires over to the municipal center after he built it, and there were a couple of operadio speakers hanging in the tower, mm-hmm. and he used to broadcast the live jazz bands and things that were playing over at the Rainbow Room so that the public could hear it. So, yeah, yeah. Did the Arcada also have a setup, too? Yep, we also set up the Arcada. Um, we were very active in, in giving speakers all over the place. Uh, we were involved with air shows in the early 30s. Um, the World's Fair. The World's Fair, 1933 yeah. World's Fair. We were there. We built a talking robot, which I'm one-eyed sure. robot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have any prints of it yet, but I've we been built, looking too. Yeah, online, I've so. been searching for so long, I can't find anything. But uh, yeah, we built it for Sears Roebuck, and we also had a booth there with our technology. Yeah, uh, you exhibited in over 25 different areas, believe it or not, from huh? what I've read uh, around the fair. Yeah. Yeah, we were. It was a very large company. And that's also, you know, without helping the actual behind-the-scenes parts of the fair, which is... I'm sure we also did the intercom. I don't have any records of it, but I I would assume we probably did at that point. And the first broadcast out of St. Charles, unsurprisingly, was from Operadio. And (laughs) Operadio Wire, kind of. Or Operadio Radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did find records that Jack Stone, the senior, actually owned a commercial uh, radio license. Uh, for broadcast license, uh, I found the uh, the dissolvement letters. So unsure if anything was done with it. But um, what else in the 30s? So we did the World's Fair. Is there anything you want to look at on the uh, the schematics right there? He have oh, uh, schematics right from 1924, which would have been yeah the Operadio 2. So our second, second generation. Yeah. Yep, second generation. We got some. Uh, they appear to be original blueprints. Oh yes. Um, Circuit designs. And literally blue and prints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so four nineteen twenty six model. So this right. was going to be the one that was coming out. And there's the twenty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we just have boxes of these. Honestly, and patents from Canada, all different kinds of areas like that on different random inventions. Yeah, yeah we have. Uh, those may stay with us. I'll try to talk yeah. to my. Uh, oh no, that um, that stuff. Could, no, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, it's not doing anything for us. But we have patents. You know, 
we have patent research going all the way back to the 20s. We have patents in the original in the folders still packed, sealed from the 20s as well okay. onward. Um, I cover radio, ultrasonics is what we're doing now, and everything in between. I'm trying to find the magic though. I don't know if it was patented though. Yeah, I'll <laughs> take a look. I think. Uh... Actually, I saw some type of schematics in one of those books or something, but I'm not sure if they're like blueprints or okay. something different. Uh, people are interested. Well, people, I'm interested. There are like five people on the internet that even know what Magic Glow bars are, but... Well, that's what we're here for. I know, I know. <laughs> well, another thing that kind of comes to mind when I'm thinking about this is when I was a kid, um, everything was in wood, okay? Mm -hmm. TVs, radios, everything was in wood. And when you think about production today, how much of it is you know stamped metal how much of it is bought parts from other places mm -hmm. i can imagine that manufacturing had to be unbelievably complicated back in the day you you were making everything you know from the printed circuit boards or the boards that you were plugging tubes into mm -hmm. um all the way through the the cabinets and and knobs and bakelite and all that kind of yep, stuff. yep we have uh, we have uh uh photos of us on the cedar avenue plant uh which is something we moved into later um and yeah we had a full tin shop and they actually followed us into our current facility up until you know the late 70s 80s we had you know we were making practically everything there we were making our own cabling oh. we were stamping our own steel sheet mm -hmm. metal bending it mm -hmm. we had everything from you know concepts out the door was practically done at that facility which is just not how businesses run anymore no. yeah. it's just not well, it's, it's, it's a part of another thing that made St. Charles kind of unique was we got a lot of employers like this that needed, like you didn't just need electricians or engineers, you needed mm -hmm. woodworkers, you needed, you know, people to move stuff, you know. And I and when I think like Moline Malleable and the Howell Company oh, and, yeah. and all of these kind of, let's call them a little bit later industries that were in town, um, it really gave us a leg up. Um, other than maybe something like Elgin, but even mm -hmm. then, you know, we really had the opportunity for people to come here and have a choice of jobs. Not, you know, not all come and work at the Elgin Watch Company or, or you know, something yeah. like that. So. Yeah, no, uh, you know, St. Charles was, you know, even at the time when we arrived, it was still relatively diversified. There was no, I would say, central, like, like you said, Elgin yeah. Watch, mm -hmm. I mean, town lived by, die by type of, type yep. of manufacturer. So, um yeah, it looks like we beat them all, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we got kind of lucky because our industry changed over time from, you know, farming and agriculture mm -hmm. um, into this more heavy-duty industry stuff. And then, you know, today it's pretty much all gone in, in St. Charles. I mean, mm -hmm. there's some, you know, manufacturing, but nothing like what we were at the in the heyday. Oh, yeah, the oh, river was just yeah. lined with factories. Yeah. So. Oh, one of our board members was speaking about uh, the past just uh, in the last episode there, and he was saying the only things that are around now are like Ream Electric and Duquesne, pretty much. Yeah, so, we... From the time he was around here. Yeah. So. And we're still doing great. Yeah. Um, you know, I touch up on a couple uh, history points um, and we can go into the present stuff um, yeah. you know how we got there so uh, the one thing if you notice uh, really what kept us going is uh, senior which is Jack Stone and then uh, his uh, son two sons purchased the the company from him in the 60s was they I, they had an ability to see the market and pivot when needed so yeah. you know in in 51 they sold off the speakers by 68, that company was gone. Okay. So wow. that market was just gone. It was probably taken over by foreign entities at that point. You know, Japanese mm -hmm. electronics were coming yeah. in, into at that so. point. 
Um, and same with radios. They, he knew he could not compete. Instead of just living by, live by, die by, he, he was like, all right, what do we do well? We make good speakers. And he pivoted to that. Yeah. Uh, so the next pivot would have been 1968, which actually leads us to where we're at right now. Um, we started uh, Jack uh, Jr. at this point. Um, he had, again, Senior was still a lot around at that time. He didn't pass until 1970, but uh, he was done in the business by that time. So um, Jack Jr. decided to... Uh, you know, give permission for our research development to look into this thing called ultrasonics, which is a way to fuse plastic together, which is called plastic welding. Um, and uh, yeah, actually, I found all the original lab notes that we had and all the original research notes that's crazy. from that that decided that this is the direction we're going to, and that's the reason why Duquesne is still around now. So yeah. we started, you know, working, developing the process. Uh, I believe the one other company that was around doing it is a company called Branson. They are still around. Are they from Missouri, by any uh, chance? I don't believe so. They're they're an East Coast company. Uh, they're still around. They're still big. Um, we're catching up, though. Yeah. I mean, it's taken 50 years, but we're <laughs> we we are are whittling away at them. Uh, you know, our big break on that came through when we worked with the Kodak company. Oh, yeah. uh, they were having problems. I think sealing uh, something with some some film canister or something like that. Um, and they went to Branson. They couldn't figure it out. We were able to get through. We developed some type of, I believe it was weld by energy at that time. It's getting technical. Uh, but we developed a process that actually worked, and it really pushed us to the forefront of, of the ultrasonics. Oh, wow. yeah. um, from there, we, we expanded to different type of plastic welding uh, capabilities. Uh, I am in vibration welding, which is you know, a machine the size of a car that just clamps two plastic pieces under a couple thousand pounds of pressure and scrubs them back and forth. It sounds simpler than it is. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of technology that goes into it. It is actually pretty simple. Now, is that heat that it's generating to do the fusing? Yep. Yeah, it, it makes heat, yeah. and yeah. then it melts the plastic. Yep, okay. Uh, yeah, so we have a couple of different technologies now. The ultrasonics is still around for sure. Uh, vibration welding, which I deal with. Hot plate, which is, you know, you literally stick something that's hot between two plastic parts. It melts this defined weld joint, pulls back, clamps together. Uh, we recently purchased a company called KVT. Uh, what they do is uh, it's like a hot plate, except you're putting uh, superheated nitrogen to uh, a plastic weld joint. The nitrogen does not allow the plastic to burn since there's absence of air. So it makes a very clean, very precise uh, weld. Hmm. So, But that stuff's boring to me, so you might want to cut that. Because <laughs> uh, we jumped up a long, long time. So going back to the 1960s, we had a pretty fun division. It was called the Games Division. Uh, yes, I know. We, we only produced three things throughout the, the division's history that, uh, from like 1963 to 1968. It wasn't around that long. It was actually profitable, though, when they then they ended it, but it just didn't align with what Duquesne was going. By that time, we were looking into the ultrasonics, and we still had AV and intercoms, and so, games department really didn't make sense. A long way from going skiing downhill kind of exactly. game. Exactly. So to, the first yeah. game we developed was called Ski and Score, which uh, imagine an arcade, uh, or imagine a uh, pinball machine, except you're standing behind it, and it slants down away from you. And you hold two poles, and you have two paddles that your feet are on. And you actually control 
this little plastic guy to go down the slalom, <laughs> which we still have the mold for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and 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 I don't I'm not sure how it worked, but there was a, a way to uh, judge your accuracy, and I I don't know if speed, but I know accuracy, and it would score you on how well you did. Uh, was this a home game or was this no commercial? no this was our, this was commercial okay yeah uh, right. yeah there was quite a few out we have quite a few articles on it uh, I've not found one um, I imagine there's probably some that exist somewhere um, it's just we have like, the molds we could build it again no, yeah just kidding we have the mold for the little <laughs> yeah the little yeah. guy <laughs> looks like a little stretch arms the most important part yeah, right so <laughs> I think that one was launched in '64 officially uh, and then after that we took the same concept except uh, did it called Grand Prix. So you had an accelerator and a steering wheel, and you would, again you would go through a race course. Um, the you know the more you were in the lines, the more points you got. You went out, you would actually be able to deduct points. I mean, it's pretty much like today's video game arcades where you get the car and hop in that. You know, I know. everywhere you see it was. I mean, just mechanical. If you just think about well, the electric. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the the pinball craze and the arcade craze that happened just after '68. I mean, mm-hmm. pinball was around then, but you know. Early 70s, mid 70s, gaming and stuff like that right. just blew up. Right. Um, You're still back in the old bowling game era with it in the, the oh, yeah, 60s. Oh, yeah. Slide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are fun, though. Yeah. Um, uh, and I it, I actually at one point owned a, a, a record store, which was across the street from a huge arcade place. And this was 78, 79. And the amount of business that pinball was doing in those days is, is just phenomenal. So yeah, that another decade would have been a would have been a different ah, time. That's okay. the day where you can make an entire concept album over <laughs> pinball. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Although, you know, in retrospect, pinball, arcade gaming is dead. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, they missed a boom on it. Certainly, certainly they missed a boom on radios. But they understood where the better bet for them, the company, was at, and it did pay off. So. Well, and they're still being agile enough to make the change. I mean, you know, sometimes you're the, the first implementer, sometimes you're second, third time out. Um, but whatever, if you're able to be agile enough to get out of it and move into something else that makes you money, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter even if it gets better after you leave it, right? You haven't, you, you may have missed something, but in the end, you, yeah, you, you know, hurt you. you played your hand the best you could. So. Exactly, and they played it well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we continued to grow throughout the 70s uh, and 80s. Um, by the 90s, uh, Ultrasonics were still doing very well. That's why we're still around. Um, but the audiovisual, um, you know, film projectors and stuff like that we definitely had the market but the market was dying mm-hmm. um you know everything was going digital you had to be very specialized to do that and uh, honestly no american company survived uh survived that anyway so mm-hmm. um we eventually spun off the av department uh, which they do still exist um they are technically a separate company from us um and then we also spun off the intercom systems uh that was in the 90s as well okay. You just uh, got one from the 70s, right? One of the big consoles there. Oh, yes. The, yeah, the yeah. We got a, a school console. Uh, you know, go in to do your Pledge of Allegiance. You'd select all, and you could select the rooms and talk through it. Mm-hmm. That, that was us. We got a, a minty one. Great. Uh, my uh, CEO, Mike Johnston, uh, he, he's big into the Duquesne history as well. He's helping, you know, allow us 
to give us the documents over. But he's always looking for, for interesting stuff as well. Me and him are both looking for a magic glow bar. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my memories, second grade, grade school, the intercom comes on, and it's the principal telling us that President Kennedy's been mm. shot in Dallas. And that was how that information got passed. Um, it wasn't unusual. And later on in, in school, you always had that morning thing where all the information, mm-hmm. their intercom came. I mean, uh, it's it's funny today how that we've got 12 different ways to do that and maybe mm-hmm. just send it out to everybody's iPad or something. Exactly. You know? But back then, that was the point of contact. I mean, it was pretty darn important mm-hmm. you know, for that and, and to coordinate things because it wasn't just the intercom. It was the signaling system and stuff like that. Yeah, but, there was. Yeah. It- you know, you were talking, I'm thinking here, you were talking a minute ago about, or we were talking about being agile, but we've got a great example of the exact opposite, which was the cable piano company, mm-hmm. which yeah. n- was not able to flex themselves at all and, and really got wiped out by the fact that people quit buying pianos at yeah. home. It was it, the big boom back then, was the piano instrument stuff, especially around Chicago, right. and uh, then, you know, it just crashed. And yeah. then those crazy guys over at the radio company came out with radios, and yeah. everybody wanted to listen to the radio and not play the piano anymore. So. <laughs> it was our fault. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, victim of people's own success. You become very niche. Uh, it's funny going through the archives. We, we, you know, 1920s, 1925, going back to then, we had a huge ad campaign, huge, huge, which was part of the reason why we were number one selling ads in New York. We, we rented out spaces in people's, um, um, Called like department store windows and everything like that. And one of them was a harp company in Chicago. I believe uh, Healy and something. I forget the name of it. And I was like, oh, I, just for, you know, giggles, let me look this up. They are still around. We had a Healy piano in my house when I was growing up. Okay. So. <laughs> They're still around because yeah. every other company I've ever looked up that Duquesne had worked with and everything, and most of them were dissolved or, or purchased or bankrupt and stuff like that. Out of all of them, mm. the Harp Company in Chicago wow. is still a Harp Company and still in Chicago. Beautiful. Which was uh, amazing. I sent them uh, a copy of the, the ad uh, in, the, in their window. <laughs> and the building's actually still around. It's just, I believe it's owned by uh, uh, one of the colleges in Chicago. Okay. okay. So. Wow. Uh, All right, so now we're in the 60s. Do we get to the 70s? And Are we in the 90s? Yeah, I think we're actually in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, so 70s, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 70s, you know, we get, we still expand on, on the plastic welding, and that's really where most of our energies went. Um, oh, actually, I should actually mention a, a fun project we did, and project that's global and huge, um, would be the Pingers, um, Underwater Acoustics. So in the early 60s, we worked with NASA to develop a pinger to, it was, they needed a high impact pinger. So something that could, um, you know, withstand high impact. What were they doing? Recovery in the ocean. So um, these underwater beacons, which um, would send out literally just a beep, just to let you find where they're at. They're a little like triangles, right? Yeah, you have some images yeah. from the, the original NASA stuff. We have a lot of documentation like on this. Streamlined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The space age. Space of course. Very space age looking. <laughs> um, so we built those for, for NASA throughout the 60s. Uh, in the 70s, uh, with the FFA regulations coming about, uh, we expanded and we started selling them to commercial airlines for the black boxes. And uh, eventually in the 80s, we renamed that division CECOM. Because at that time it was part of the ultrasonics, but you know, aside from waves, it really was kind of unrelated. Uh, but yeah, so pretty much every single black box has a CECOM derived 
uh, pinger system in it. Oh, wow. uh, as recent as the Malaysian Airline yeah. one, it was mm-hmm. it was our technology that was in there. Um, that company was part of the sell-off in the 90s, um, just because we wanted to focus on one technology. Um, and it was moved to Florida, and I, I still believe they're, they're around. I don't know if it's still called Seacom or not, but um, definitely the, the technology is still still used, wow. dating all the way back to this 1964 with the, the, the space race. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. It's, a, it's an amazing, um, when you sit down and you talk about something like this, and everything seems to, like, all of a sudden you think St. Charles is the, the center of the world because it seems like these weird <laughs> things have happened. It's like, it's the pinger that was found for the 747 that went down. Right. It's St. Charles. It's yeah. Seven like, degrees, six degrees of separation. Well, or it's the fact that, you know, Colonel Baker and Delora inherit, you know, $40 million in 1918, which gives this city all of the money it needs to get through the Depression mm-hmm. in pretty good shape. At, at one point, we have more construction projects going on in St. Charles than they got in the rest of Cook County in, in, in Chicago. Yeah. But, I mean, it's that kind of luck or, or whatever else that happened to us that kind of you know, gives us this opportunity. So it's great to hear the stories of this. There's definitely got to be a bit of luck to, to, to be around, you know, uh, 100 years now. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it is kind of sad though seeing all the other companies. You know, reading through yeah. these articles and and you know, moving Crown Electrical. And it's like they needed capacity. So I we have, I guess we can go over the buildings that Duquesne has occupied. Sure. Yeah. So uh, from what I can tell, we've occupied four buildings in St. Charles. So we initially moved on to Thirteenth Avenue um at the uh, heinz cut glass building which is now yep. being turned into condos again yes, we're hoping it was going <laughs> yes, to get raised that's right let's finish then, let's hope that finishes this time yeah. i saw a window in oh really yeah. oh, okay they got windows great. outside and they have one window installed so yeah we were able to get the the old lamp factory sign lamp co oh, sign okay. off of there yeah did they actually produce that? lamps there uh, i think it was more of a kind resale. of like a resale like a fix it up kind of place okay okay yeah because i couldn't find anything on yeah. that the like late that. 80s i believe okay. it was around there so funny i knew about that building long before i knew uh operator ever occupied it mm-hmm. okay. at one point uh it was globe music uh, we needed to expand so we swapped buildings with them on the cedar avenue um so we were then occupied cedar avenue and also during that time in the mid-30s we purchased uh the crown electrical building which is i believe one south uh first street right. illinois i mean um, so we're where Kimmer's ice cream is exactly. in, that, in that area. And was Global Electric a guitar-making place? Ukulele, Ukulele, different kind of strings, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. That's oh, what I thought. Yeah. Stringed instruments. They're, they're kind of rare and, and uh, big on the market, too. I think, oh, that, I see. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't know the history of it. But, yeah, so we occupied those, uh, the Cedar and, and the one across the river uh, through the early 70s, at least, because we, we opened our, our main facility in 1970, we've been there ever since we've expanded mm-hmm. a few times and we've contracted and now expanding again so knocking down the concrete walls cutting through them to get more room you yeah. got it we're <laughs> bursting at the seams again um but uh yeah uh, i know <laughs> funny story uh apparently we got hit with a, a fine years after the fact uh apparently uh the, any of the defected speakers over at the plant on the river they just chuck them into the water so they found a huge, I don't know when the cleanup happened, but 
according to our maintenance guy, he's been here since 1971, so he was there for for the move. Okay. okay. And uh, yeah, wow. he's like, yeah, we got in trouble because they found a whole bunch of speakers. <laughs> Believe me, I believe there's cars that have been driven into the river from next to Beath House there, and I've heard stories of all sorts of things. And millstones. And we have millstones rolled down. But we we actually know that before the 20th century, the 19th century, it literally was the sewer system. It literally yeah. was. Um, we we went looking a couple weeks ago for dumps in St. Mm-hmm. Charles and surprisingly can't find a whole lot. There's a couple of quarries that got refilled with stuff. But if you think about it, you didn't need it. I mean, you literally were taking your stuff, your trash down there and, and dumping it in the river. Mm-hmm. That was just the way people saw that kind of resource. So not yeah. anymore, thank yeah. God. And, yeah. uh, and, and especially you, not the factory stuff that was getting I know. And there, thankfully, so. we really weren't involved in yeah. too much chemical. I mean, there was probably lead in, in those speakers, but it could have been much worse if we were. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> producing some of the other stuff so yeah so i mean i just really want to you know iterate you know the the excitement that we have to be able to you know open up the archives honestly before i started digging into them so some of the scrapbooks that we have um which are in the scrapbooks themselves are in bad shape but the items inside are fantastic there's some that probably not been opened since we were scrapbooking all the way back in the 30s. Mm. It, it appears one of our first scrapbooks was from the late 30s because there was no mention of anything World War II in it, and it was all about the magic glow. Uh, yes. And there was some stuff about, um, I found the letters to um, uh, the general on the Panama in there as well. Um, and then there's a strike riot letters, something yeah, about that. Yeah, for, for Quincy, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, there was a strike riot. There's uh, uh, Mac was writing. Oh, that's right. He went by Mac. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the senior's name was a nickname Mac. So he was writing back to his family about the, the strikes out in Quincy, Massachusetts. So. Wow. Well, that's great. We're, uh, we're excited, too. Um, obviously, excited anything to with history is exciting to us. Mm-hmm. Anything with technology is personally exciting to me. Um, and, and I think it's great to be able to put stuff in a in a single place that you can go looking and know you're looking where you're going to probably find the answer instead of having to go 12 different places. I, so. Exactly, exactly. And I've been trying to find other companies that have been around the area for a long time. I did find one that Duquesne worked with on the Magic Low. But I don't think it was, was it St. Charles? No, that might have been the... No, no, no. Oh, there was the St. Paul one, but that was for the glass little tubes. Yeah. That's totally different. Yeah, there's... The place that did the neon, though, the, the filled with tanks, they're yeah. still... Oh, the Chicago... Uh, they're, they're in Milwaukee, I believe. Milwaukee? Oh, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there cool. is a company here that was in St. Charles. I need to remember what it's a retain. I've been doing so much research in my main mind's guide. But... Uh, <laughs> we know how it could Yeah, it. they moved. They were around... Um, they were a speaker manufacturer... They made hats in World War II. They were located in St. Charles. Holly? Holly. Yeah. They still exist. No, okay. They, they, moved, they, they moved to Kentucky. Okay. So I was thinking, you know, I don't know. I'll let you guys contact them. But, you know, if it's still the same company. So it's possible that they, you know, I, the thing is, you know, I don't know how many companies have this stuff. Yeah. I assume everyone does. But it, it turns out uh, Mac, he was... Even his son, to a kind of lesser degree, uh, but they they saved stuff that was important to the company. We saved the prints, you know, beyond well documented. It, it, it's it's it, I do find it is rather rare. I mean, there there are large large companies like the Packard Motor Company. I mean, it helps that we didn't go out of business, so that we were able true, to true. Yeah. just and with that we've been in one facility since the 1970s, where we just shoved, shoved into a room and just. 
yeah, we find that we get pictures of things like corporate meetings, and and we can't even even identify the people that are in there. There's nobody to follow up with that. You know, it was this company or something, but you can't really tell who the people are because there's there's no one to ask, no one documented it. There's no way to put it in context. It's kind of it's kind of nice to have it, but um, I I think. Um, uh, when you when you talk about other companies in the area and people that have gone out of business and stuff, I think a lot of times it's thought of almost like bad luck. Like mm. this, you know, we're moving on. We're, we're all new. We're repainting the place. We're putting yeah. new carpet in, and all this stuff has to go because we're going to you know be totally different. I've I've literally worked for places like that 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 had that mentality. So it is kind of cool to have that stuff. And then I think the other thing that's nice about it is um, this is unique for us i mean we don't have anybody else's collection like this so it's yeah. it's really great to be able to kind of specialize in and in, in duquesne i and call do it this. the so, most complete archive yeah, of yeah. collections we got here well, probably yeah. yeah i'm glad that 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 could happen i mean i my biggest fear was you know two things i leave and um, you know like i said ceo mike johnson cares about it a lot 20 years now if exactly. he's not there i'm yeah. not there Someone just might see this stuff and like clear out the closet. Exactly. Why? Why is this taking up space? Exactly. So, so, um, and then also, you know, it's in good shape still. But I noticed by even just opening up because we did have a display, photos starting curling. It's like okay, this stuff is still fragile. I mean, yeah. I'm reading papers that are from 1914. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's like um, just the side of dust. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so um, I just I just wanted it to. Be protected. So I'm hoping if anyone has any corporate history or even personal family history, stuff like that, if you're not able to store it properly, just please donate it. Thank you. Thank um, you very much. That yeah, is, that's, it's, that's a plea we make all the time. And, and Eric, I want to get across. Sometimes. It is. And it's also a matter of everybody sees a value in the stuff as being a one of a kind thing. We talk about this with a lot of our artifacts. Oh my God, this is, you know, was owned by this person. It's gotta be worth some money. And the truth is the market's limited. So the market mm -hmm. determines the value. It's, absolutely priceless to us as historians or and keepers of this stuff but in the open market you could keep it for a hundred years it wouldn't ever pay for anybody's college education you know exactly and and thankfully you know with with uh, mike and and jen i again jen Gustafson, she's uh, our hr she's been a, 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 a big champion on this as well um you know the dollar values could we have sold some of the stuff absolutely absolutely never thought in our mind our, our our we're not well we're not in the business to sell our old artifacts exactly. really. uh we want to protect our legacy this uh you know it it kind of was you know duquesne is known in the area but you know opera radio in duquesne in the 30s we were one of the largest manufacturers in illinois i mean mm -hmm. we were up there with motorola and and everybody mm -hmm. it was it was so, you know, we got more specialized and like we're still around, we're just still doing great. But, you know, right now people say Duquesne, it's like, oh, it's the people with the funny sign on, on Kirk Road. Or Love the we puns. get the, uh, oh, you guys make the, uh, the grills. It's like, no, 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 it's a, it's a different Duquesne. I don't know. They took our name. We were first. 
it's uh, now ubiquitous. So, mm-hmm. um, well, John O'Toole, uh, get to see if I get your title right this time. Large tooling engineer manager. Yes. Okay. Um, from Duquesne, uh, we appreciate you coming by today. We appreciate it. Um, come by again as we dig into this stuff. I think we're going to want some more oh, yeah. details. And of, of course, and and um, yeah, we got some Ivanovac uh, speakers oh, that um, uh, my CEO actually he has a nice set. I'm trying to convince him to get a nice 1960s console and put it in. Because he's like, I don't know where to put them. I was like, put them in your office. Are you kidding me? (laughs) There you go. So I think he actually might do that. That would uh, be the the highlight of the office, right? Yeah, just don't run them too long with the door closed because of all the... uh, (laughs) Well, you could get that COVID cleaning done. Yeah, exactly. Just turn them on for an hour. You can get anything in there. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. And and honestly, from us, I know you're saying thank you for wanting to preserve this. Oh, yes. Um... You know, it's 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 important. I think. So. Yeah, it's not well, every day this stuff comes falling into your lap. You know. No, and and I mean it's fortuitous that you have Eric here. Eric's got an intense, you know, a desire to see this stuff and to learn more about it. I love the technology, and I can't wait to dig in and mm-hmm. and see more of this stuff myself. And um, there's a ton of stories, and I think we'll we'll, we'll right. definitely reach out to you to get some of those yep. stories and 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 capture some of that. So anytime, come on back, yep. and we'll we'll spend more time on the podcast. So I really do appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, Thank of you, course. Yeah. And here's to another hundred years. Yeah. All right, we got it. Yeah, we're already one year down. <laughs> here's to another. Uh, just a couple things before we go. I want to go over. Um, right now, we have the exhibit up in the hall still of uh, Major White, Captain White, Captain, uh, Captain White, White. Uh, Major eventually. Yeah. And that's going to be up until the end of May, I think. We decided. that'll be the uh, start of May actually. Start of May, okay. Yes. And we're getting already getting ready to start setting up our next exhibit, which will be about the uh, Chicago World's Fair, 1933, yeah. and how that links to Chicago or to uh, St. Charles. And there's actually some Duquesne uh, linkage in it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna hopefully we're gonna be able bust to bust out a radio or two there to put on display for sure. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, we've got some other events coming up this month. We're working on a VIP event on April 23rd. Uh, Eric and I spent some time this week with Dr. Dale F. Simpson Jr. from College of DuPage, looking at a lot of our what do they call them lithic artifacts? Yeah, lithics. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. For those that aren't that technical. Point knife. They were stones, and uh, we were looking at them, but they're implements that were being used. And I think one of the things that we found out that I thought was interesting was the majority would, were our woodworking tools. So oh, they, yeah. they looked like they were used for building things. Um, that is 13,000 years of St. Charles history is what we're going to be talking about there. Five civilizations, I think, that Dale mentioned to us. So um, if you are a VIP, be sure you RSVP for that. If you're not, it's simple enough to do. Contact the museum. We'll be happy to help you work that out. It's just a higher-level membership is what it is for VIP, and you're all welcome to join us. On May 3rd, we've got a thing we're calling History Rocks. Um, History Rocks is actually um, uh, Ron Onesti at the Arcada is sponsoring that for us. We're going to have a, an evening of hanging around. We're going to be eating Ron's famous Italian meatballs, which uh, are, uh, I think, becoming world famous at this point. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have some live entertainment. Rick uh, Elvis Saucedo will be performing his Elvis tribute for us. Um, we'll be doing a 50-50 cash raffle and hopefully some other stuff. Those tickets are still available, but they are limited. Go to our website to get that or look us up on Facebook, and you can purchase your tickets and everything else. Um, otherwise, uh, life goes on. Oh, one more thing. In May, we're going to start our guided walking tours downtown 
St. Charles. Uh, if you're interested in that, look on Facebook or on our website. And the first one is May 20th, okay? So, uh, again, I want to thank John for coming in today and talking to us and Eric for taking time out of building his massive contraption of a <laughs> 1933 exhibit and uh, all of you for listening to us. So, um, until next time, this is St. Charles History Chronicles. Thanks a lot. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the St. Charles History Chronicles podcast. This content is copyright 2023, St. Charles History Museum, all rights reserved. Additional information on this episode and other podcast episodes is available at stcmuseum.org forward slash podcast.